0: Uh, Matthew 6, as we keep walking through uh, the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer that Jesus gave us in the Gospel of Matthew. So if you want to turn to, to Matthew chapter 6. Um, I don't know, we got several teachers in the room. Um, and I think, I think our teachers in the room are, are overall, I think y'all do a, a great job. Uh, every teacher I'm, I'm seeing here is just an incredible uh, person with a heart to, to educate. Um, and, but part of being a teacher I've never been one, but part of being a teacher is, is giving tests. Now, there's some tests that maybe aren't so fun, like the standardized tests and all that. We can talk, we're not talking about those right now, but we're talking about tests that are actually helpful. And, and, um, and so, tests are, can be helpful because they kind of reveal where we are, right? Like, if you're a teacher and you give your students a test, or if you're a student and your teacher gives you a test, um, the purpose of that test is to kind of reveal... Are you absorbing anything? Are there some core concepts that you're learning? Or do we need to go back and, uh, and do some more work in those areas? A test reveals how you're doing, right? And, uh, and, and I think a, a, a quality teacher, a teacher of character, gives you a test in hopes that you will pass. Hopes that you will do well and hopes that you will even learn through the process of taking the test. Now, a sinister teacher... Might give a test hoping you'll fail, but that's the, t- that's the difference, right, between, between good and evil. One of my favorite uh, uh, pastors, uh, pastors, one of my favorite teachers, professors, uh, was Dr. Roark. Dr. Wallace uh, Roark, who was uh, my philosophy and theology professor at Howard Payne University. And, and Dr. Roark really <coughs> was committed to not just telling you what to think. He didn't want to tell you what to think. He was committed to trying to teach us how to think kind of a lost art in our, in our world today, because a lot of us want people just to tell us what to think, but Dr. Rourke was committed to saying, I want to teach you how to think. Um, and his tests were really difficult. They were really frustrating because they were just essay questions. He wasn't going to mess around with true-false or multiple-choice or fill-in-the-blank or hangman or anything like that. I mean, these were essay questions, and he was a deep thinker, and he was an outside-of-the-box thinker, and he didn't know, like, do I need to, like, answer with, like, Two sentences, two paragraphs, two pages? Do I need to write a book? How do I answer this? And so, my first year, uh, first semester, I took classes with Dr. Roark. He gave us a philosophy a test and he gave us this exam. And uh, uh, the hour and 20 minutes goes by. I'm still writing. I haven't gotten all the questions yet. And I'm trying to just, you know, uh, just uh, really extrapolate uh, and sound smarter than I am. And, and uh, like, good thing I grew out of that, huh? And, um, and so me and, me and my buddy Landon, like the, the class is over, and me and my buddy Landon are, are, are the last ones there. Everybody else has given up, conceded, defeat, and, and went home. Me and Landon are kind of in the same place. We're not finished. We haven't answered all the, t- all the questions yet. And so we say that we approach Dr. Roark and say, Hey, Dr. Roark, um, you know, we're just we're taking this test so seriously that we've, we've run out of time, and we're staring around, take some extra time, and, and finish answering the rest of these questions. And Dr. Roark just kind of looked at us, and he Put his hand on his face like this, and he said, One day the final bell on my life will ring, and I will answer for what I did with the time I was given. And we said, So does that mean we get the extra time or no. So uh, so yeah, didn't get any extra time. I was judged based on what I had done, and from what I remember I was judged. <laughs> Pretty harshly, but Dr. R was a great professor. And in the process of testing, he taught and, and he helped me learn. And, and his desire in testing us and even giving te- difficult tests was that we learn. Um, and, and when we talk about testing and temptation today, when Jesus tells us to pray, lead us not into temptation, it's kinda, it can kind of be confusing because the word for temptation and test and trial are all the same Greek word. And the scripture tells us that God does not tempt us to sin, but God does, sometimes he does test us. And he tests us because he's good. And he tests us to reveal what's going on in us and to help us see what's going on under the hood. And, and, and God tests us um, and puts us even in situations where we will struggle and where we will be tempted and where we, where we will be uh, experience trial because temptation reveals, us, reveals to us what's going on in our heart. Temptation reveals to us the condition of our heart. And so uh, if, if I gave, you know, if somebody gave me, let's say, a million dollars, which if anybody wants to do that, I would welcome that opportunity. But if you gave me a million dollars and I went out and like, just like blew all that money in Vegas, or I went out and I bought like, I, I like built a mansion for myself, or I might, go out, I might go out and feed the poor with it and, 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 and give a, a super generous tithe off of it, or, uh, and then some, and, and I might give it all away. I might build orphanages. I might go like buy a million dollars worth of meth and like OD on meth. Whatever I did, hopefully I wouldn't do that last minute, but whatever I did with that money, it wasn't the money that made me do it. The money revealed the condition of my heart, right? The, the money just revealed what I would do if I could do it, and then the money revealed the condition of my heart. So if I get money and I'm selfish with it, I was already selfish, it just revealed to, to a greater degree. You, know, you ever know somebody that gets a position of authority and suddenly they become a jerk and you're like, man, power corrupts. No, power reveals. And it reveals what was already in this person's heart. And that's what temptation does. That's what testing does, is it reveals the condition of our heart. How we respond to temptation, how we respond to times of testing, that reveals the condition of our heart. And God's heart, as we walk into seasons of testing, is he wants us to grow. He wants us to, to be transformed. He wants us to see what's going on in our hearts and cry out to him for deliverance. The enemy's motive, as we walk through temptation, is he wants us to fail. And that's, the, that's a huge difference there, is the enemy's uh, desire and temptation is he wants to break you. He wants to destroy you. He wants you to fail. God, as we walk through seasons of temptation and trial and testing, God wants you to grow. God wants you to learn. God's rooting for you to succeed. All right, so today we're going to talk about, as we pray that prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're going to see that we, we cultivate healthy soil by daily acknowledging our need for guidance and rescue. There's something humble humbling about this prayer, lead me not into temptation, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Because this prayer is saying that I need God's guidance or Like, I'm going to walk into a ditch somewhere. Like, and there's something humbling about just acknowledging that I daily need guidance. Maybe you've been a Christian for like 50 years. Like, you're not done with the battle against sin. You're not done with the battle against temptation. Uh, Maybe you've been a Christian five minutes. It doesn't matter. Like, we all have this battle. We all have this need to be guided, to be led. And we all have this need to cry out for rescue, like we said earlier, a Christian, is someone who's been rescued, and a Christian, is someone who continues to need rescue. And I have a daily need for guidance and rescue. And and so, but fighting temptation requires daily vigilance. Uh, John Owen, if you if you want to read somebody that just uh, nails um, uh, uh, kind of theolo- theologically this idea of fighting sin and rooting out sin in our lives, J- John Owen uh, was a Puritan uh, minister. Uh, in the seventeen, the seventeenth century, in the sixteen hundreds, uh, and uh, he was British. And and, uh, and one of the things he said was, he said, a minister can fill the pews, a minister can fill the offering plates, a minister can 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 bring great messages. But who that minister is, on his knees before God and nothing else, that is who that person is. And I think we can exchange minister for Christian. Like any Christian, we can do cool things for God. We can do big things. uh, We can post awesome memes on Facebook. We can do all of that stuff. But who you are on your knees before God, that's who you are. And when we pray, when we cultivate this daily, like before our feet even hit the floor daily, like lead me today, God, because if you don't lead me, I'm a mess. It cultivates humility in our lives cultivates healthy soil in our lives. Um, I have a need to be guided. I have a need to be rescued. And John Owen also wrote, he said, let no man think to kill sin with few easy or gentle strokes. He said, the one that, he that has once smitten a serpent, if he follows not on his blow until it be slain, he may repent that he ever began the quarrel. Have you ever heard about somebody that thought they killed a snake or maybe even did kill the snake and the snake still ended up biting them and either injuring or killing them? That, that happens. And he says, man, if, he says sin is like that. Don't take a swipe at it and say, oh, good thing I, I dealt with it and walk away because it's gonna come back and it's gonna hurt you. My dad hated copperheads. Um, he, he thought that copperheads were so... Uh, so much less honest than rattlesnakes because rattlesnakes will give you a warning and copperheads, they'll just come out of nowhere, you know. And so like when he would see a copperhead, like he would just like over the top kill this thing. So I remember one time where the families were driving uh, uh, down our, our dirt road. We lived like four miles up a dirt road and, and he sees a copperhead and he slams on his brakes and just like grinds the tires on and then backs up and grinds the tires on it and pulls forward and grinds, And like over and over and over and we're like, dad, are you okay? Like who hurt you? Like what is up, you know? And, and like we look out the window and this copperhead is like this oozing, uh, greasy spot on the road. And I'm like, dad, I think you got him, you know. But like what if that was the approach we took to, to rooting out sin in our lives? Be a, there would be a, a lot less broken people that got taken out because I thought I was good and I wasn't good. And, and what Jonathan Owen is saying is when it comes to rooting out sin in our lives, be like my dad was with a copperhead. You keep rooting it out. You keep rooting it out. You keep destroying it. Uh, don't be content. All right. Jesus says, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so, through this part of the prayer, Jesus has been telling us our, 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 our daily needs. And, and first, he, he said that there was a, we have this daily need for, for provision. He says, give us this day our daily bread. We have, we have a daily need for pardon. Forgive us of our sin as we forgive those who sin against us. And we have this daily need for protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And, and when Jesus is telling us to pray this, like this is a prayer to, that we're saying, God, give me the strength to do what's right and give me the strength to resist what's wrong. And if you're like me, I think I think a lot of us are alike in this is like we'll we'll do what's right and resist what's wrong as long as all the conditions are favorable to do so. It's kind of like me and working out. Like I'll go through seasons where I'm really committed to working out and I go through seasons where like right now I'm not committed. And like I'll see Nick and Stacy at the grocery store. I'm like, hey, you know, I've just been super busy. You know, I'm like giving all the excuses people give for church. Like, I've been just really busy. It's a busy season, you know, right now. And and so, like right now, I'm in this. I'll say maybe I'll go tomorrow. But then tomorrow comes, and well, I didn't sleep super. I had a bad dream last night, so I'm not feeling really rested. It's a little cool outside, um, and uh, and my pinky toe is kind of hurting right now. So I'm just gonna wait until the conditions are perfectly you know, in alignment to, and, but, and that's the way a lot of us view our battle against sin. I'll do what's right, I'll resist what's wrong, as long as all the stars in the universe align. That's not the way it works. In fact, the world is aligned in such a way to make it very easy for you to, to sin and to live a selfish life. And when we pray this prayer, what we're saying to God is, God, I want to resist evil. And I want to do good no matter how hard it might be. The, the, the scripture says and Christians have said for centuries that the enemies of our soul are the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the world isn't like the, the earth or the soil, but the world system that's, that's opposed to the way of Christ. And then the flesh is that, that rebellious Nature in me that just wants to do things my way. And then the devil is that supernatural evil force that's constantly using the world and using my own flesh against me. And whenever your feet hit the floor every day, you're in a battle against the world and and your own flesh and the devil. And that's why Jesus tells us to pray and it takes humility to pray. God, lead me today. I'm not. I'm not capable of leading myself out of temptation. I'm a mess, and it's, It amazes me how fast I can get offended. It amazes me how fast I can slip into gossip. It amazes me how fast I can. I can manipulate. I can try to manipulate what other people think of me. And and and, and if it's not for me constantly praying, God lead me. Guide me, deliver me. I'll get caught up in that stuff. Offense or or, or bitterness, and we can get caught up in that stuff and we can get so deep in it and we don't even know it. And then we get blind to it. And then our heart gets hard to it. And then we think that we're the ones that are great and everybody else is the one that's a mess. A lot of us are like Samson. I, I relate to Samson a lot. Minus the whole dashing good looks and superhuman strength, I relate a lot to Samson in the sense of Samson was constantly pushing the line. God says, hey, you're an don't, you know, that mean one of, the, one of the things that meant was don't touch dead stuff. So what's he do? He goes and scoops honey out of a dead lion carcass. I don't know if you've ever had carcass honey, but delish, okay? He's not supposed to drink, so he's drinking, and he, he's hanging out with Delilah and all, all kinds of stuff, you know, pushing the lines. And I can't think of Samson without thinking of Jake Spoon from Lonesome Dove, who who gets all he just he just falls in line with these bad guys. He commits all these atrocities, and when his friends uh, Woodrow and Gus have to hang uh, Jake Spoon, they, uh, Gus says, "You, you cross the line, Jake." And he said, "I didn't see no line." And here's the thing: if we're not praying, if we're not cultivating, "Lead me not into temptation, but deliver us from evil," we won't see the line. You won't see the line. If you're not daily saying, God, help me, deliver me, lead me. John Owen said, he said, let no man pretend to fear sin that does not fear temptation also. These two are too closely united to be separated. He does not truly hate the fruit who delights in the root. So I can't say I hate sin if I'm constantly putting myself in situations where I'm flirting with sin. I can't say I hate adultery if I'm constantly cultivating inappropriate relationships with the opposite sex. I can't say I hate pornography if I'm, at the same time, constantly watching stuff that pushes the envelope. I can't say I hate gossip if I'm constantly going around saying, hey, uh, let's really pray for so-and-so, you know. You know what I'm talking about, right? If I'm not constantly finding loopholes, I can't say I hate The fruit of sin if I'm constantly playing around with the root of sin. And temptations are everywhere. You know, temptations are just... You know uh, the the way the, the way of living in this world, and and maybe temptation for you takes the form of relational temptation or sexual temptation, or or maybe it takes the form of financial temptation. You want to hoard all your stuff for yourself, or maybe temptation is bitterness and offense, or maybe temptation for you is materialism, or or maybe it's, uh, it's 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 contempt for other people, or whatever it is. Maybe it's gossip. Whatever it is, whatever form it takes, like like maybe like if you're tempted to uh, if you're t- if you're like temptation, if your vice is like a hot onion sandwich, like that's not really a temptation for me, but I have my own temptation. So we don't all necessarily have the same temptation, but what unites us all is that we're all tempted and we all have struggles. And, and Martin Luther said it this way. He said, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can prevent them from building a nest in your hair. And, and this is the thing that we got to, like I, I, I can't prevent the messages that the world sends uh, and, 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 and I can't totally shield myself from temptation, but what I can do is I have the power whether that thing builds a nest in my hair or not. And guys, this is where we get like Samson is we want to, yeah, we want to um, let that bird build a nest in our hair. And then we wonder how we end up where we end up. I want to take us to Mark chapter 14. And this is where we went the first week we, were, we, were, we began the Lord's Prayer and where we see Jesus in this greatest moment of struggle, but also this greatest moment of intimacy with his Father. Uh, Mark 14, they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and he began to be greatly distressed, and he was troubled. Jesus is being tested, even being tempted here to, 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 to walk away from his mission. He said to them, my soul is sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. Going a little further, he fell on the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, this hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, but nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will be done. He came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And Jesus is saying here that you watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. To enter into temptation is the idea of being taken in by it, tripping into it. It's it's not the idea of watch and pray that no temptation will ever come your way. I mean, temptations are coming at you, but watch and pray that you don't get sucked into it. Watch and pray that you don't don't get blindsided by it. Watch and pray that you don't slip up into it. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray. So Jesus tells us here how we can uh, prevent ourselves from being blindsided and tripped up by temptation. He says, watch and pray. And if I'm not not, um, making my home prayer, then I'm going to be making my home temptation. I, I, I can't stay out of temptation if I'm not in prayer. This is watch and pray that you may not enter into and be taken in by temptation. Now, now the temptation, the testing, the trial that Jesus is talking about here, he, he's not saying he's not saying to Peter, like, watch and pray, or, or, or you might look at something you're not supposed to look at on your phone, or hey, watch and pray, or you might drink a Coors Light, like, What he's talking about here is watch and pray or you're about to abandon me. Watch and pray or you're gonna forsake me. And that's exactly what Peter and the disciples did. They forsook Jesus. And underneath all of our temptations, whether it's overeating or overdrinking or overspending or lusting or whatever it is, underneath all of those temptations, there's this common temptation to abandon Christ, to forsake Christ and to do our own thing instead. That's exactly what happens with Peter, James, and John, and the rest of the disciples here. So, so whenever we enter into temptation, there's like this, this obvious layer of temptation, but then there's also things going on under the surface that we might not see. So I want to take, for example, last week's, uh, last week's um, whatever uh, drama of the Super Bowl halftime show. This week, it'll be some other thing we're all upset about. But the, the, Let's talk about... Last week's. So we didn't watch the Super Bowl, not because we're holy, we're at home praying and fasting, it's just not something that's interesting to us, and so we don't watch it. So we were kind of behind the ball on the, the controversy around the halftime show. And so, you know, pull up social media the next morning, and it's like there's these blog posts, like, oh my goodness, I can't believe how immoral and immodest the halftime show was. And then over here, it's like, come on guys, it's not a big deal. But the halftime show, you know, it was a beautiful presentation of culture, And I think there's probably truth on both those sides, and I'm not here to try to sort that out for you. But what I can say is that, let's see. What I can say is I've got to know the way I'm tempted. And for me, I love the female body. Can I say that, guys? Is that true? I mean, some guys are like, I'm not going to shake my head right now. (laughs) Like, I, I think Shakira... I've, I really appreciate Shakira. I appreciate the honesty of her hips, you know. They don't lie, you know. Um, sorry, I didn't say that the first hour. I should have said it this time. But if Sonda walks into the house, and I'm like watching the halftime show on YouTube, and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I just am admiring the athleticism of this. Uh, I'm just admiring culture, you know. She's going to be like, I'm not admiring what you're admiring right now, you know, and so I just love beauty. I love beauty, and and no, uh, I I don't think I don't think this is okay because I've got to know that there's a line there where it goes from admiring beauty to lusting. But biblically speaking, my response isn't to tell Shakira to put more clothes on, and my response isn't to tell NBC or whoever what to air whose responsibility is it for me to guard against lust? Do what? It's my responsibility. Jesus said, if you lust, tell the women to put on more clothes. No, he said, if you lust, gouge your eyes out. We want to gouge other people's eyes out in contempt. He says, if you got a problem with lust, you, guard, you go gouge your own eyes out, okay? You are responsible to not go places where you're going to be tempted. So, like for me, like wasn't shocked that there was flesh on display at the Super Bowl halftime show. That's not a new thing. Should it be? Should it not be? That's a different conversation. So on the one hand, so immediately there's the posts that was that was terrible. I can't believe that was on. Then there's the posts. Oh man, that was awesome, and I love it. Why are you offended? And underneath all that, wherever you stand on it, I know where I, I know where I know where I'm weak, and where I've got to guard my own eyes. But wherever you stand on it, so much of of, of these things, it becomes not about the issue, but it becomes about what do I want people to think of me? I want people to think I'm really holy, so I'm going to share this blog post. The blog post had to have been written while the halftime show was still going on. It was out so fast. Like how? And On both sides. So I'm, going to sh- I'm really holy, I want people to think I'm holy, so I'm going to share this one about how offended I am. Or I want people to know how advanced and elite I am, and so I'm going to share this one. And what we get into on either side is we spend so much energy falling into the temptation and the trap of trying to manipulate and manage how people see us. Regardless of the issue, can you think about how much time you spend manipulating and managing your image? and I do it, I'm doing it right now. And I gotta be aware of that. And you gotta be aware of that. And one of the big temptations of our time is the temptation to spend more time managing what people think of me than what people think of Jesus Christ. One of the biggest temptations of our time is I'm more caught up in my image than I am in the image of Jesus. I don't know if you shared a blog post. I'm not on Facebook that much. I'm not targeting you right now. I'm just trying to make a point, okay? Probably not a very good one. But watch out for that temptation to manage and manipulate how other people perceive you. That will just drain so much life. But it's something we're constantly tempted to do that we don't talk about very much. There's this temptation we face. This is, again, underneath the obvious stuff. There's a temptation we face to be sufficient in and of ourselves, apart from Christ. To constantly, We're constantly tempted to prove our worth. There's this temptation we face to abandon Christ. And that's what the disciples were walking through. And Jesus says, again, he's not like, watch, watch and pray that you don't drink a beer. He's saying, watch and pray that you don't abandon me. And we've gotten so caught up in some of the surface level stuff that yes, does matter. But we forgot to ask the question, are we watching and praying and standing with Jesus or have we forsaken him? Because that's what's underneath all the other sin is do I forsake Jesus or stand with Jesus? There's this temptation we face to harden our hearts. You know what I'm talking about? You fight that temptation? To just build a wall around our heart and get self-righteous and uptight and, and angry and mean and contemptuous. And we slap religious stuff on it, and it's ugly. There's this temptation to live selfishly, to live for me, to live as though I'm the king of my own little cosmos. I want to go to, to 1 Corinthians 10 with the Apostle Paul, and, and this is our last scripture. He he walks us through, he walks the Corinthians through the story of Israel. And at the beginning of verse 10, he says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers. Our fathers were all under the cloud. They passed through the sea, they were baptized into Moses in the cloud. The sea, they all ate that same spiritual food. They drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. The rock was Christ. Christ was even with them. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Verse six, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. He says they actually, they didn't just stumble into into evil. They desired evil. And that's the condition of my heart apart from Christ. That's the condition of my heart when I'm not le- praying, lead me not into temptation, but deliver from evil. I'm not just, uh, I'm not just uh, neutral. There's an actual desire for evil at work in my flesh. However the form of that is. He says, don't be idolaters, or some of them were. They sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Even though they had seen God rescue them and deliver them, they'd eaten the manna from heaven, they had seen him split the Red Sea, they were still tempted to make worship all about them. Verse 8. Don't indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. Even though they got the, the Ten Commandments and... And 23,000 fell in a single day at God's judgment. Like, even though they had gotten God's word and they'd seen God do so many incredible things, they wanted to rewrite God's word and say, well, you know what? I want to be sexually immoral in this way, this way, or this way, or this way, or this way. So it must be okay because you see that nothing's changed in thousands of years. He says, says, don't do it. Don't put Christ to the test. Don't indulge in sexual immorality. Some of them did. 23,000 died in a day. Don't put Christ to the test as some of them did and they were destroyed by serpents. Don't grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Wait a minute. Grumbling is on the same level as idolatry and sexual sin? Do we know that? Hold on. It's scary. Verse 11. These things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So the story of Israel is a story of this nation that lives out the same story of Adam and Eve, choosing their own way over God. And then the disciples' story plays out the same story. Here they are, Jesus is saying, watch and pray with me. And they're like, no, we want to sleep. And now it comes to your story. Are you going to live out the same story of Israel? Are you gonna to continue to live out, are we gonna to continue to live out the same story as Adam and Eve? Or are we gonna live a different story? My son, Ethan, is back on the Lion King kick and he, he, now that the new movie's come out. But a few years ago, when he was about three or four, he was watching the original Lion King all the time. And he would go through this phase where every time he'd put the DVD in, he'd say, man, I hope Mufasa doesn't die this time. Oh, But he did, every single time. And he was like, why does this keep happening? And some of us, it's like we're stuck in the same story on repeat. And we're just playing out the story of Adam and Eve. We're playing out the story of Israel. We're playing out the story of the disciples. We're playing out the story of our parents. But it doesn't have to. Mufasa doesn't have to die in your story this time because something has changed. That's that Christ has died. Christ has risen. You can know him. You can have a relationship with him. You can be delivered. You can be rescued. You can be healed. You can be set free. He says in verse 12, take heed lest you fall. Let, for, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he, I mean, there may be some of us in the room saying, temptation, schmittation. Like, I don't have any temptation. I'm good. I've been a Christian longer than, 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 than everybody else in here. I'm good. I've, I've been through, I've sowed my wild oats. I've been through all that. He's, that's who Paul's talking to you. Take heed. Let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. The Christian life isn't a life of resting on our laurels and resting on what God told you 20 years ago. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a, 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 a lifestyle of saying, I got it figured out, I went to Sunday school. The Christian life is a battle from beginning to end. Beware, he says. Verse 13, no temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. This really helps me. Because I'm as selfish as you are, and that's saying a lot, and you're as selfish as I am. And we have this thing we do where we think that we're the only people that have ever been through something. You ever do that? And we think we're more unique than anybody ever has. And, well, I know God's word says this, but there's no way it applies to me and my situation. Becky Acuna does the best job of anybody I know of just kind of bringing it home to somebody like, you're not the first person that's been through this. And somehow, usually she's able to say it and they don't get mad at her, but... Every now and then they do, but, but she got a way of just cutting through that. And guys, whatever you're going through, take comfort in the fact you're not the first person that's had this struggle. You're not the only person who has this struggle. You're not even the only person in this room that has this struggle. There's no temptation that befalls us. It's not common. God is faithful. That's the root of all temptation right there. That was the root of temptation in the, in the Garden of Eden. That was the root of temptation in the Garden of Gethsemane. The root of all temptation is to believe the lie that God is not faithful. The core trick of the tempter is to try to convince you that God's not enough. Try to convince you that Jesus is not enough. Try to convince you that God is not faithful. But when we're tempted, and when we're tested, and when we're struggling, and when we're just so weighted down we feel like we're not even going to be able able to, to to, to go without sinking. What we grab hold of is we grab hold of the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's the flag planted in the middle of history that says to you, great is his faithfulness. God is faithful. He went that far because he's faithful. We grab hold of that. And just like Israel is a witness to us, your life is either a witness or it's a warning. Your life is either a witness to others and people are saying, man, why are you the way you are? Like, wow. Or your life is a warning and people are saying, "Why are you the way you are?" And the one that makes the difference is do you have a walk with Jesus Christ? So so Jesus tells us to pray, lead us, deliver us. And that tells us two things. When he tells us to pray, lead us and deliver us, and that tells me that I'm weaker than I think I am. I'm frail. I need to be led. And I need to be rescued. And it takes humility to accept that. That tells, tells me something about me. I'm frail and I'm prone to wander, but it tells me something about God too. He tells us to pray, lead me, lead us, deliver us. And that says that God is sovereign even when life is hard. Even when you're tested, even when you're tempted, even when you feel like you just can't give another millimeter, God is sovereign and God is faithful And God is there. We have this need for guidance. That's why Jesus tells us to pray, lead me, lead us. We have this need for community, which is why he uses the pronoun us. And we have this need for deliverance. I want to hang on that word deliverance for a second as we wrap up. Deliverance is a good word. It's a biblical word. It's a word to describe rescue from Egypt, rescue from sin. Jesus came to restore and rescue and deliver you. And so there's a spiritual element of deliverance that sometimes in Baptist circles we don't talk about that much. And sometimes other circles maybe overdo it or overemphasize it. So let me say this. If there's something you're battling, maybe you're battling something physical or emotional or spiritual or whatever, anxiety, depression, whatever. See your therapist. See your doctor. Take your meds. Do all that stuff, okay? Okay. And I was saying, don't do that stuff. Do all that stuff. But there are some battles that we're fighting that we need supernatural deliverance from. And let's not be so Baptist that we forget that there is a reality, there is a spiritual war going on, and we can't fight all of our battles through flesh and blood. Even Jesus said, some demons only come out through, and I'm not saying you have a demon, okay, but some of us might. He says, some only come out by prayer and fasting, So sometimes if you're in a situation where you just keep hitting a wall and you keep hitting a wall and you keep hitting a wall, you may need to gather people whose maturity in Christ you trust. You may need to say, I need you to lay hands on me. We need to pray together. We need to fast together. We need to cry out to God for supernatural deliverance. We need to do battle together. And and, and that's a component of spiritual warfare. That's a component of discipleship that I fear we, we, we don't need to lose that. So if you find yourself and you're just stuck, yeah, get discipleship, read the word of God, study the word of God, pray, be in community, go to the doctor, go to the counselor, do all of that and circle up with some people and say we need to cry out for spiritual supernatural deliverance that can only come from the bondage breaking power, the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the band's coming up. The band can come up now, but I want to close just taking our eyes back to Jesus on the cross. Jesus resisted the greatest temptation that anyone has ever endured. All the temptation you can ever imagine and then some was poured out on Jesus from the moment he entered this world to the last, and he endured. He went through temptation alone. Even his closest friends went to sleep. And Jesus went through temptation alone so that you never have to walk through temptation alone. You have the body of Christ with you, but beyond that, and most more important than that even, you have Jesus Christ himself with you, because he went through it alone. You never have to go through it alone. You're never tempted or tested in isolation. God is faithful. Because Jesus was not delivered from evil, that means you can be, and you will be. You have been. And you will be. Jesus' cry, deliver me from evil, was met with no. He hung on the cross and he bore your sin. He bore my sin. Evil did its worst to him. He was not rescued. And three days later, he rose from the dead. Because Jesus was not rescued. You can be. Lay hold of that today.